welcome Tony this morning. Yo, Tony, from he's from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. What a wonderful morning it's been already. This presence of God is here. I'll tell you what, if you haven't sensed the presence of God, you're just numb um, this morning. It has been in a powerful way, and um, thank God for that. Like you said, my name is Tony Severo. I was here September, and I um, I got to meet so many of you, and it's great to come back and, and to see you guys again. You're doing well. Um, Pastor Rob was gone last time and gone this time. I'm taking it personally sooner or later. I'm joking. I'm just joking. You have a wonderful pastor. He is a tremendous gift from God, and, and the church always should cherish their pastor because it is a um, it is a the, he has challenges that you will never know until you are a pastor yourself and so um, so I hope you take advantage on October 14th and um, and not only sing but just support your pastor and love him very much um, June my wife June is here I don't know June you want to stand up and say something just greet people that's and uh, our three kids are not here today. They are doing many things. Our daughter just got engaged a couple weeks ago, and, um, and she's marrying a guy who's an Italian, so thank God for that. You know, we, uh, <laughs> we all know Jesus wanted to be Italian. I think I told you last time. Yeah, and, um, and so she's doing well. She's a music composer. And so she's not only teaching music, but she composes it for either um, for either movies or television programs or or whatever they will pay her to compose for. And um, she's very talented, and um, she's a miracle herself. She was born at uh, one pound ten ounces, and um, and so it, we knew that. The breath that God breathed in her. It's interesting. Every part of her body was not working when she was born so prematurely. And um, one thing she never had a problem with was her lungs. And so we, um, we realized that it wasn't her breath. It was God's breath. And so it's come out. Our son is an actor, believe it or not, um, an actor in who loves Jesus. And we constantly talk to him about having to keep your heart and your mind and your soul on the higher plane of God's love instead of what what the whole industry is doing. And so um, he just got done playing a role. Uh, he's, he, he has all kinds of roles. Now he has one that has a Sherlock um, Holmes emphasis, and so it's always fun. He was in a great show about the Civil War called Killer Angels. And I mean that that's one that just went really well. So he's acting and our youngest is Isabella. I, I'm telling you about our kids and I'm just a father who's talking about three kids that you don't even know. She is a horse girl. She would love it up here. The love of her life is her horse, Deco. And so um, we are going to keep that going uh, forever if we can to make sure that she loves Deco and that's the only meal in her life for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it is always a challenge to not control your kid's life, but give it back to God. That you have to, you have to pray and hold the standard in your own life, because if it's not in my life, they're never going to have it in their life. 
there if they see it in ours. And that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect or I have to be perfect because we are far from perfect. But they sense the heart of sincerity and what they, they, they know your heart more than anything else. And so that's why I mentioned about them because I, I don't know why I even felt that if you are wrestling about children, grandchildren or whatever today, I want you to know God is still the one who could reach them. He is never far away from them. And he is always ready and willing to be able, like that reckless love. I, I, can't, I don't understand how people can criticize a song like that. But Jesus does leave the 99 because he cares about lost, lost children. So if that's one of your, your um, relatives, know that God cares about them. Uh, I don't even know I'm tearing up. So um, won't you stand with me? Today I want to talk to you about fear, living a fear-free life. How many want to have a fear-free life? To take the dread out of your head is what I also want to call it too. Because, um, well, there will be a couple scriptures here. I'm, I'm wrestling with this thing here. Let me make it more flat. Um, can I make this more flat? Maybe, maybe not. Is that how you do that? Okay. Oops. Thank you very much. Great. That's perfect like that. Okay. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a unique psalm. It is a contract. It is a contract with God. It is different than every other psalm in all 150 psalms because it is constructed in a legal construct. Um, it has some great legal terms that you would never know. But God is telling us. How many know that God doesn't want visitation rights in our life? He wants habitation rights in our life. He is not interested in visiting you. He's interested in living in you. More than living in you, he wants you to live in him. Because when you live in him, he's our realm. And so here's what the psalmist said. He who dwells, say dwells. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Look at that. It, 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 that's, that's dwelling. He's your refuge, your fortress. Refuge is that, that, that special safety and security in your heart. Fortress is the wall that he builds around us. My God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. And from the deadly pestilence. Look at all the images he's throwing out here. Surely he will save you from the fowler snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night. Say terror. We hear a lot about terror, but... He said, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, say darkness, nor the plague that destroys at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. 
If you make the Most High your dwelling, there it is again. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. If all those characteristics of God aren't enough, he'll get angels to come after you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I quote that verse every time in the middle of the night when I go to the restroom and come back and stub my toe on the bed. I always say, God, didn't you say? And he always says, it's not a stone. You will tread. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord. Here's the, here's the covenant fulfillment. God says this. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. I, he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Look at verse 13. You have the description of the one from verses 1 through 12, the description of the one who is making the contract. Then in verse 14, it's the conditions of what the one who's making the contract says he's going to do in verse 14 through 16. And verse 13, it's what's called the hinge. The H-I-N-G, the hinge. A hinge is something that is on a door and put against the wall and will either open up to you what follows or closes it to you. And so what he says here is the hinge will either open up what God wants to do or it will close what God wants to do. So Father, we come today with powerful words. What unbelievable inspiration you give us in Psalm 91. Now show us, Lord. It is no mistake how you put this psalm together and how you speak to us and how you care for us. Even though it was written thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, it is still relevant and powerful and good today. It works in our lives today. It is relevant in the spiritual realm because the spiritual realm is as powerful as the physical realm. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to our hearts and may we not forget the power we have over fear if we simply open the hinge. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to start with telling you two quick stories. Number one, my daughter Annabella, when we lived in Ventura, played water polo. Um, short little things. And, and, and she weighs, you know, soaking wet, uh, you know, around 100 pounds. And, and so she would get in the pool and all these girls like six, seven, and they look like they're from East Germany and, and they're huge. And, and here she comes and she's looking straight at their belly button. She was always so much smaller than them. But when the, the water is a neutralizing force. But the fact is they were playing the best team in the state. 
and they played them twice that year, and and because it was so close, we lived in Ventura, and and she and the best team in the state was up in Goleta or or Santa Barbara. It was Dos Pueblos, and they were playing there at at the, at the pool at Dos Pueblos, and and Bella's team was getting shellacked. They were getting killed. It was like. 12 to nothing, and, and, and I was praying that they had like a 10-run a, a rule that if you, you know, don't, you know, be merciful, and all of a sudden their team was, it was, they would, they, you know, they were just going through the motions, and then all of a sudden I heard their coach yell out, and he said to the girls, you're on offense, you're on offense, play like it. He was so frustrated because even though they had the ball, they were tentative. They were reacting to how the, the other team was moving. They were so scared. And so he said, you're on offense. Why don't you play like that? I often wonder if God leans over the, the walls of heaven and sees us in the church and says, you're on offense. You're on offense. Why don't you live like it? Because when we're not on offense, there is very few times that we're going to actually live and score in the way he wants us to. Because if, if we are not winning battles and if we are not seeing God's power and, and it working in our lives, it, it, we are not being and accomplishing what God wants to do in our lives. I understand that a heart attack or, or job problems or, or relational problems can often neutralize you and keep you on the sideline. But that sideline is not where you're supposed to be for the rest of your life. It is not a place to live at in the spiritual realm of God. You're on offense. And I often wonder if God wants, us, wants to say that to us because the church oftentimes is in neutral more than it is in the gear it wants to be. Second story I want to tell you is, is about um, when I was a young kid. When I was a young kid in, 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 raised in Erie, Pennsylvania, I always thought that the, the service station, gas station attendants were the greatest guys in the world. After all, they were able to get dirty, and, and they were, it was okay for them. And they would always come, and they always had that rag that, that was as filthy as can be, and they'd wipe their hands, and I would you always sit there and say, why do they wipe their hands? That thing's dirtier than their hands. And they'd come up, and, and you didn't have self-service then, and they'd come up and fill your, your, your gas tank, and I always thought that was cool. So, I was, so one time, I... I, I I was wanting to play. I was wondering what I was going to play. No friends were around. So I got the garden hose, and I opened up the gas tank in, my, in our car, and I was going to be the gas station attendant. So I got a dirty rag and had it in my pocket, and I took the garden hose, and, and I put it in the car, and I turned the water on. Well, there was a neighbor across the street from us. We lived, everyone in our neighborhood was Italian. Her name was Peppy Spada. And I, I could see her in the window, and she's going like this. Oh, you know, she's going. And then all of a sudden, she called my, my parents, and out came my mom and dad, and, and it, was a, it was a sore night. I, I didn't sit that well that night. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget, they had to get someone to pump all that water out. You know why? That car doesn't run on water. 
you can put water in it, but it's not going to work. It was not created to run on water. Even though fear goes into our spirit, even though fear can find its way into any part of your life, we were not created to operate on fear. We were not created so that fear can fuel the spiritual dimensions of our life. The spiritual giftings God has for you are, is not energized by fear. Psalm 91 is all about fear. It's what he's talking about. It's what he talks about that even if, if it keeps us, it keeps us from dwelling in God, it keeps us. It, it, it is, it is a, we call it an emotion, but the Bible makes it clear. If you could put the first slide up, there are verses that make it very clear. Look at, for God has not given us a what? A spirit. Say spirit. Fear is a spirit. It is a spiritual condition. It is not an emotion. It is a spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's not what God deals into our life. But he says, Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? And love and a sound mind. Look at that. You can say, not only it says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what he's saying there in the Greek is God has given us a spirit of power. He has given us a spirit of love. He has given us the spirit of a sound mind. Those three things are essential parts for our life to live as a, as a Christian who is not only transformed, but bearing fruit. Because, look at, yeah, keep those up. For God has not given us, look, look at the spirit of power. You see, we weren't born with the spirit of power. God has given it to us. What we, what we experience is our humanity. And we see our weakness. And those are things that shape us. Those are things that can often instill fear in our life when we see weakness. But the kingdom of God is, is, is such a wonderful place that the Bible makes it very clear that when I am weak, what? He is strong for his power. Say power. His power is made perfect in my what? In my weakness, his power is made perfect in the places of my humanity that I think are very weak. That God isn't intimidated with our weakness. He sees it and he understands that's the very avenue through which I can bring my power into their lives. But we don't like doing that. Fear makes us want to be in control. Fear makes us want to make sure we have all the resources we need, that we never have to depend on anything. And so what we try to do is cover up and mask our, 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 our weaknesses instead of seeing that God gives us a spirit of power. We were not given a spirit of love. We were not born with a spirit of love. We were given to it by God. As a child, 
And as a baby, first thing you see is, is fear. They cry. But that, there's that, that, those, the feeling of, of alienation, of rejection. But God gives us a spirit of love. Look at love and power operating in our life. What can we do without those? Can you be a Christian? Can you live the Christian life without the spirit of power, the spirit of love? Let, don't forget the third one. Because it is as powerful. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and a love and a sound mind. One lie can take any situation in your life and distort it so that you are starting to believe in things other than God's truth in your life. A sound mind sees what your heart may not what your weakness may not. The sound mind puts in perspective. And that's why he says that. You know why? Because the definition in the Bible, in the Old Testament at least, the whole idea of fear is being aware of all the possibilities. Being aware of all the possibilities is what fear is about. Now I was raised being afraid of dogs. Why? Because when I was a kid, four years old, we, my dad was scared of dogs, and we were coming in to the house one day, and there was this big dog and, and his other friends, and, and, and he was a, a German shepherd, and his name was Big Joe. He usually is in the backyard of a neighbor, but somehow Big Joe and another dog got free. And when we walked into that, that driveway, my dad froze, and Joe came after me. I remember that. And so, as a young kid, I was scared of dogs because I was bitten several times by a dog. Because I see that, and, and, and my mind immediately goes there. See, when I see a dog at that time, now I can handle dogs. Uh, at least Labrador retrievers, they're easy to handle. And anyhow, when I saw a dog, I was aware that that dog could lick my leg and love and be a jovial old chap. But I also was aware that the very hair that he could lick, he could bite off thinking it's dinner. And what fear is, is being aware of the possibilities. I know what it can do if it is happy, but I also am very aware of what it can do if it is not happy. And fear brings in an awareness of all the things that can happen. But this scripture makes it very clear. If you're going to be able to see something that God did not give you overcome in your life. You see, either fear will be bound or love will be bound in your life. Either fear will be bound or power will be bound in your life. Either fear will be bound or a sound mind will be bound in your life. Why? Because fear can contaminate all of those things. And so why Paul is saying there, look what he says here, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received. He's saying the same thing again. Look, he's saying, you didn't receive. He's trying to tell the people in Rome. He had told the people of Ephesus when he wrote the, the Timothy letter. He said, it makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Because the spirit of power comes when you have 
daddy. The spirit of love comes when you have daddy. And a sound mind knows that your father will take care of you. And so that's what he's laying out. And this psalm lays out just a wonderful thing as we study because we need to understand that if we're going to make it in the Christian life, we have to overcome fear to be able to overcome all the devil's challenges in our life. Anyone say amen to that? And so I see this, and as, as I see this, and I, I don't want to, you know, I understand the time because this thing can go forever. But we live in a world where up is down and down is up and black is white and white is black and everything seems to be all over. But when we have a sound mind, what, it, it does away with vain imaginations. It, it does away with many of the things that, that keep us in, in the very grips of fear. Why, why is this so important? Because what you fear, you serve. What you fear. Is that is the next one? Uh, is, is, is the next one? You see, if fear is not bound in your life, God's love and power and the mind of Christ will be bound in you. Because what we fear, we serve. Serving, fear, it could be rever reverence. But it also can be intimidation. It also can be a spirit that seeps into every part of our life that God wants us to overcome. That's why Paul said, God never gave you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. How many think it would be very difficult to live the Christian life without the power, the spirit of power and the spirit of love? the spirit of a sound mind. But so many times, churches nowadays start becoming very an atmosphere where the power and the love, because when you see God move, there's something that happens. I was raised in Erie, Pennsylvania, like I told you. I was raised in an Italian Pentecostal church. If you want to see a church that's out there, go to an Italian Pentecostal church. So when I was 12, we, we switched over to the Assembly of God church instead of the, the Italian Pentecostal church. I'll tell you what, the food was much better at the Italian church than the, the English church. It was much better. And, but I'll never forget... When we were at the Italian church, there was a guy in the church named John Henshu. John was, was deaf and dumb since, a, since he was a child. He could never speak. He couldn't hear. And, and, and that's the way, you know, we always knew him. But he came to church all the time. And they had someone that, like, did sign language. And, and as a teenager, we would love to go sit behind the, the deaf people because they would blurt out stuff all the time. And so we would never, they'd never know. We were, well, never mind. You don't need to know about that. So we were sitting behind the deaf people one service. And the spirit was moving. At the end of the service, people started weeping. Our church had split three ways. And they were trying to put things together. It, 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 after a while, that church came together. And today, it's a church of about 2,500 people. But it split three ways. And as, at the time of the split, everyone was mourning. I'll never forget the service when we were sitting behind the deaf ministry. And John stood up and spoke in tongues and interpreted. Man had never spoken a word in his life. 
He sat down. People ran to the altar. And one of the things he said is, after he interpreted, when he was interpreting the tongues, is, I am the Lord your God, and I will not dwell in a divided church. Your pride and your ego is in my way. This guy, who never spoke a word, couldn't make a sound, totally deaf. We saw him stand and do that. As a kid, when you see that, and as a church, the church ran to the altars, and they, they asked forgiveness, and it was a powerful thing. But when you see what God can do in a moment like this, you walk away and say, I, I, I don't want to live many days and have many services where we don't see that kind of stuff where we don't experience that kind of stuff. How many think those days are over? See, I don't think so. I don't think if the, if the time is over where you'll see miracles. I don't think the time is over where, 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 where some of the people who are called cessationists and, and have TV programs and radio. I, 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 don't, I don't buy that because I think the same God of the New Testament is alive today. And the same God has the Holy Spirit that is given to us. And He can do the very same thing He has done all along. But the fact is, what keeps Him dead in His tracks is our fear. God can't do much when we are bound by fear. One of the greatest verses, when, when Mary stood up and, and did her Magnificat, it's one of the things she said about the life of Jesus was, he will enable us to serve God without fear. Wow. Jesus enables us to serve God without fear. So what is it about the spirit of fear that even though we know it's not good, even though we understand it cripples the very life of God in our spiritual life, even though we know it, even though at times it doesn't even disguise itself, it still has passage into our way. Churches stay in a rut because they're afraid of doing something new. They're afraid of following God. And it's so, it is so real. It's palpable. And so the psalmist comes here because it's such a, a powerful spirit and makes us known that, that, that we, what we are aware of, we have to, if you're going to be aware of all the possibilities, you have to be aware that God is greater. We sang it. Our God is greater. He is greater. But when we put and become, focus on some of the things that we have fear, it sometimes shrinks him down to size. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, God has always put his servants and his people in circumstances where they're outnumbered? Does that ever bother you? Gideon had 300, and he had to face the Midianites. Well, we're about 250,000. 300 versus 250,000. Thanks, God. 
and he wielded it down from like 10,000, but 300 men. What do you think Gideon felt? I wonder if he was aware of all the possibilities there. I wonder the night before they, they, they won that one, that God actually did the battle, if he got any sleep, because fear can keep you up at night very well. David fought Goliath. Sennacherib, who had only 10,000 soldiers, fought Hezekiah. Who, I mean, Sennacherib had 250,000. Hezekiah had 10,000. God called 12 men to revolutionize the world. And one of them betrayed Jesus. And those 12 turned the world upside down to this very day. <laughs> or a group of believers here at Big Bear. You're not here just to have recreational life. God doesn't put a church anywhere to just go through the motions. He wants to do something powerful here. Fear immobilizes. Faith mobilizes. And so what we see here is this covenant, this hinge. In verse 12, verse, verse 1 and 2 is habitation. 3 through 12 is the provision and the protection of God. Verse 13 is where it's called the hinge. And verse 14 through 16 is the covenant relationship. Why? Because it opens up to us the Spirit of God. Because that when we see it, the Bible says, the Word becomes flesh and He dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. See, Jesus came and he dwelt among us. It, it, Jesus and God are always interested in dwelling, in our dwelling. And what we have to understand, fear comes into our life through our humanity. Where we are human and the experiences of our humanity opens the door to fear. When June and I were first married... We got married at the age of 35 years, 35 years old. That's a long time to get, late age to get married. But we were in love. And we still wanted to have kids. And so we tried. And June had a miscarriage. And we tried again, and she had another miscarriage. The, third time, uh, the first time, after the first time, she wrote me a card at Christmas time, and she says, the gift that I'm giving you this year is that I am pregnant today, and we will have a child next year. Didn't happen. Second time, for my birthday, she sent, gave me a card. And we were so excited. Another miscarriage. When she got pregnant the third time, and she told me, we were not as excited. We really still wanted to have kids. But the pain of humanity can often cause us to back off of the true joy we have when we are going through our human situations. God wants us to experience life. God wants us to experience all that he has for us. But our humanity has often caused us to back off. What is it? We were having a child. 
It was the, the pregnancy in which Annabella came to us. But when it happened, we were not, we, we, we were not as exuberant because humanity had caused us to back off and we tried to protect ourselves because we didn't want to get excited again and then disappointed again because humanity hurts when pain happens. But pain doesn't rob you of life. Throwing your faith away does. Fear does. And so what the psalmist does here is that he lays out in the hinge how the open doors happen. Are you still with me? And here's what he says. He said, you will tread upon the lion. Say the word lion. You'll tread upon the lion, king of the jungle or the savannah. He really doesn't live in jungles. He lives in savannas. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. Cobra. Oh, there it is. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, which is a snake. It's the most venomous snake alive. You will trample the great lion. In other versions, you will find the young lion. Those are the same idea. And the serpent or the dragon. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Now, when you first read that, if you don't know biblical language and the way it goes, you sit there and think, oh, okay, that's nice. I have no idea what that means, but that's really good. Because I don't know if I'm going to trample lions and, and cobras, and I don't know. What is he saying? That's why God called me here, here for you, because I can tell you what that's saying. What happens there is, what he's saying is, he's making very, very succinct images. There's four types of fears here. Four types of fears that we are supposed to tread upon. Tread upon. That means your shoe print is on them. Got that? You're supposed to tread upon. Lion, number one, the undisguised fear. All the other fears disguise themselves. They're subtle. They try to get in the back door. They don't want... But the lion... He's been, yeah, how many remember the program, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? How many remember that? Because it wasn't Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. It was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom with Merlin Perkins. Remember Merlin? Merlin always had this blue, navy blue sports coat and, and gray pants. And he was in the studio with a screen. And there was a guy named Jim. Remember Jim? Poor Jim would have to climb trees to get monkeys, and he would have to go into rivers to get alligators. But Marlon and Jim never had to go very far or go deep or high to see the lion because they sat there in the middle of the savannah knowing they are the strongest. If you see where the lions are at, they don't disguise themselves. They're big, they're strong, and they're the kings. And they kind of look, they have this look on their face like, this is my savannah. Right? This is my savannah. That's an undisguised fear. The psalmist said this. He says, 
the plague, he said that the images, he always gives us, in every one of these, there's images that are throughout the rest of the psalm, and there are names that, that he calls God that teaches us exactly the four types of fear that are in this, in this, in this hinge. First of all, he, he, he says, when he goes and he says, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will, not clear, it will not come near you. You see what happens there in the plague. The plague doesn't come in the middle of the night. That's pestilence and terror. The plague comes at midday because it doesn't disguise itself. Matter of fact, it advertises itself. When a plague happens, he wants you to know that we have half of the population. But then he tells a story, a picture of, of, of an army. It says a thousand will fall at one side, 10,000 at another side. You're in the battle. They have the dumbest types of battles. It was the same type of battles in, in the Civil War. They, they line up across from each other, and then they march at each other, and then they kill each other. Well, what he's showing here is you're in this marching line. You're going forward, and the guy in front of you got killed. The guy on your left got killed. The guy on your right got killed. Who's next? Well, process of elimination, that means you. It's undisguised. You know you're the one. You know what you're facing. You know it's coming at you. These things in our lives are totally undisguised because you have no power to change it. They have names like dementia. One of the toughest things after my heart attack is that my mom died with Alzheimer's. And because I had a heart attack in New York City, we were on the way to Brooklyn Tabernacle, which is a great church. It has a great choir. And I collapsed on a subway platform in Brooklyn. And they took me. There's a law in New York City that says you have to go to the closest hospital. And they took me to Brooklyn Hospital that in some strange reason, which you never thought this would be this way in any hospital in America, it didn't have a cardiology department. At least at that time, they, had an, they didn't have the staff or the, the equipment. And I had Aetna as our, as our medical insurance and the... the the greatly intelligent people of Aetna decided that, yes, he had a heart attack, and the doctors are saying his, his veins are 95% blocked. They, in all their wisdom, they said, we'll give you an answer tomorrow. And so I sat there over 24 hours with a huge lack of oxygen going to my brain. And then they said to me afterwards, you have something called mild cognitive impairment. In other words... The name we usually give it is pre-Alzheimer's. Pre-Alzheimer's. What do you think I thought of as soon as the doctor said Alzheimer's? You know what I thought of. I've already fought this battle once with my mom. And that road is terrible. See, what the lion does, it stands in your pathway. And you're coming at it. And it is standing in front of you. And it doesn't do much. It's just standing there. Figuring out that you probably know all the characteristics that it has. 
and you're standing there and you see it. And you're starting to just break down and you're starting to 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 say that is a that is a enemy that is undisguised and greater than me. But the name that the psalmist calls out to, he says in a very powerful and beautiful way, I will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That that lion may be mighty, but one who is in me and whom I dwell is almighty. And he may be mighty, but my God is almighty. And so what we do is that we don't experience the present because we're so worried about the future. It's the undisguised fear. You get something that says your job is going to be curtailed and you're no longer going to have it or you're going to be brought back. You find something in your physical report. Your marriage doesn't look like it's doing well. You find marijuana in your kids' drawers. Whatever it may be, you're seeing, I, I, I think I know it's down the road. But you have no other option. If you're going to be aware of all the possibilities, you have to be aware that they are mighty, but God is almighty. Not only do you become aware of it, you have to stand on that truth. Because it, it, it is powerful. It, it is what you have to stand on. Because when, when lions are there, we become so uptight because of what might happen down the road that we don't see what God is doing right here in my life. Wasn't it FDR who said what we fear, what fear, what we feared has come upon us? You see, the name Almighty, the Bible talks about it all the time. It says, all power is given to me, even until the ends of the earth. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. For I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. How many believe those things? It keeps saying, I know, I know. This at the end in the book of Acts, Luke wrote, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the undisguised lion is trying to flex his way, and the enemy of your life is trying to shove you right back into yesterday. But what the, son, but what the, the writer of Acts, Luke, wrote, we have to go through these things if we're going to ever enter the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God comes on us when we go through them. I like that idea. You don't circumvent them. You don't take it, you have a bypass. You don't take this route to get this route to get this route to get that route because you want to. No, we have to go through many trials because the Almighty wants us to understand. It starts with our humanity. I know I've taken a long time on this one. Just understand this. Because you have no power over something does not mean the battle is lost. 
It simply means the battle is the Lord's. Because you have no power over something. The Lord's. Maybe out of your hands, but it's over. I, I like, there was a movie by the name of A Beautiful Mind. It was about a teacher, John at Princeton University where we lived. I used to, we used to see the teachers because their, their, um, their, their dining hall was right across the, the way from our church. We lived in a church. We lived in it. seemed like we lived in it. We, we pastored a church that was across the street from Princeton University. It was built in 1864. They couldn't finish the bell tower because the, uh, our, the guys who were building it had to go to the Civil War. And... And so, let me, what was the, oh, yeah, John Nash. John Nash, it was about his mental problems that went on. But his wife looked at him. She was trying to keep it together. She was thinking it was falling apart. And there's the most poignant part of the movie where she says, when they were all giving up, I have to believe that something, I have to believe that something extraordinary is possible. You and I have to believe that something supernatural is possible. How many believe that? We have to believe that something supernatural is possible. If we have placed our lives into the hands of God, so if Satan is to take our lives, he has to take it out of the hand of God. How many believe Jesus is coming back? Raise your hand. How many believe Jesus is going to come down and fight the battle of Armageddon and just kick their armies that come against him? How many believe that's going to happen? How many believe that he's going to defeat the beast? Any believe that? How many believe that he's going to open the seals? Amen? How many believe that Jesus is going to, go, is going to throw Satan into the lake of fire? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. How many believe Jesus can balance your checkbook? Less hands. Why is it that we have no trouble believing Jesus is going to throw Satan into the lake of fire? But he can't do my checkbook. What enemy has already gotten your mind tarnished? You see, that's what he does. We don't believe that he's going to do it for us. He's going to do it for him, and he's going to do it for Satan, and he's going to do it at Armageddon. But is he really going to take care of my checkbook, my disease? The answer is yes. You're facing an undisguised. Undisguised bring fear and intimidation. And I know it's late, but there are three more. Can I go through them quickly? Number two, he says, you will tread upon the lion, and what's the next one? And the cobra. I'll just make sure. Um, See, the snake. The snake. The cobra is the most venomous snake, averaging 18 feet long and can grow to 21 or 22 feet long. They not only bite, they rise up and spray venom over 8 feet away. 
often killing animals by spraying them and blinding them and then coming and killing them. They can go from being flat to being over 10 feet vertically in less than one half of a second. It wins by the element of surprise. You don't expect something that looks like your garden hose to rise up to be 10 feet tall. You don't expect, you expect your garden hose to spray something, but you don't expect to get blinded by it and then killed by it. It is the fear of the unexpected. Throughout the Bible, the snake carries the idea of surprise. It carries the idea of the fowler snare. It carries the idea of deceit and disguise, the arrows that come by the day, the same battle. You see what happens? It's the same battle where 10,000 fall at your side and, 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 and everyone's falling. But what you're doing is as you're fighting the person in front of you, there are, there are, there are soldiers in the back lines of the, of the army that are taking arrows and they're just flinging the arrows and as you're battling the line in front of you, an arrow comes out of the sky and as you're battling this, an arrow comes out of the sky and kills you. That's the arrows it's talking about. Totally unexpected. The disease that prowls through the darkness. We don't like surprises. We don't like to be blindsided. Look at that word darkness, because darkness is a powerful I image, because darkness conceals your identity. It confuses your surroundings, and it confines you to your feeling. If it was pitch dark in here, you wouldn't even know what shirt you have on. If I have to get ready in the darkness when June's asleep and that stuff, I don't know if my outfit matches. I don't know. It confuses your, your, your identity. It, can, it, it conceals your surroundings. And it confines you to feelings. And so is darkness in the spiritual realm. It cripples you. You see, that's where phobias come about. We become being, we, we like being prepared. We like having, you know, you know one-year plans, two-year plans, ten-year plans. We like banks, and, and, and you have people who have 50 days of food, dried food in their garage because they're worried. We have tornado shelters and fallout shelters and secretaries and wives and moms. They all have it. My mom used to have a big purse, and then we had kids, and my wife's purse is the same size. She carries a mini backpack now. Why? Because they're prepared for anything. Look into their purse. My mom's purse had anything you may need. Mom, do you have a, you know, we would have an accident. Oh, I got that. And you'd wonder, how in the world does she get all that stuff in there? Why? Because we like being prepared. But what you find out is when you have faced something and it's happened to you, you become paralyzed because you don't ever want it to happen to you again. If I get a pain in my heart, first thing I think of, heart attack. If I get a pain in my hip, first thing I, it's easy to think of is when I was in a wheelchair and had my hips, had to have pins placed through it. I've heard the doctor tell my sister and my mother it's cancer. 
You hear any report like that, and immediately you start thinking, why? Because if you've gone through it once, you don't ever want to do it again, and you are the unexpected. You don't ever want to have the unexpected because pain brings fear. We become, we, become, we become so scared of it because the unexpected will come and we don't want to be surprised. We don't want to be surprised. That's terror. That's why we, the terrorism, the, 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 the president and the senators can get as much money as they want. Why? We don't want to be surprised again with the terror attack. It's not going to happen again. We'll do anything we need. Why? We, we don't want it. anything. Why? Because terrorism is the fear of the unexpected. It's a fear of the unexpected. Because what you have a tendency of doing is trying to control when you're afraid of the unexpected with the snake. You try to, you try to control it. But the name is not... Is the name... It was almighty for the first one. But what you see here is the most high. Why? Because you had arrows that fly by the day. And here the arrows are flinging and they're coming down and killing the soldier. And what the psalmist says is the arrows may be high, but I am the most high. I am higher than anything that can fall into your life. I am higher than any problem that can become... How often do we let God surprise us? God surprises us in ways that are the most wonderful experiences. I just said, when I, went to, when I went to seminary, I really wanted to go to seminary, and I was speaking at a church in Berwick, Pennsylvania, and I had to come up with an answer because the next day either I would commit to go to seminary or I would stay where I was at in, in the state of Pennsylvania. And I was speaking at this church, and the big reason is that my dad was an invalid, and we didn't have the money. And so I was praying after the service. I was praying, and, and we went out to eat with all the whole, everybody in the church. And, and as I was walking back into the I was I stayed at the pastor's house. As I was walking back into the house, I thought, well, I, I, guess, I guess I'm going to stay at this. I'm not going to go to seminary. I walk, and the pastor, who is like 69 years old, he is still fully dressed. Him and his wife are sitting there in the living room, and they're really excited. Now it's like 11 o'clock, and they don't usually get excited at 11 o'clock. And I, they said, can we have a minute of your time? I said, sure. He said, you really want to go to seminary, don't you? I said, yeah. I said, how do you know? I said, I haven't told anyone. He said, God woke me up in the middle of the night. And we met with the board this afternoon. And we are going to pay your tuition, full tuition, for you to go to seminary. Don't you love it when God surprises you? If we have our life so controlled, you will miss the surprises of God when he shows you, I know you, and I am still your source. And so that's the unexpected. Let me, let me do the next two quickly. 
He says you will, you will, it talks about the, the next one is the great or the young lion, the fear of the unknown. Now you may ask, how is great and young? Well, when someone's great, say LeBron James, who's coming to be a Laker next year, and, and everyone who was not a Laker fan this year is going to be a Laker fan next year. When You know, I can do a layup pretty easily. But LeBron James comes down the court and about the head, top of the key, he starts flying and he slams Duncan as he does all these different things. There have been Dr. J, Kobe Bryant. Those are great ball players. And the difference between my basketball playing and their basketball playing is mine, mine is bad and he's great. What makes him great? They do things that we have no idea how that happened. You have no idea how in the world he did that, but he did it. Same thing with the young, the idea of being young. Anyone here have a dog? Anyone here treat your dog like it's a child? Yes. Yeah, yeah. People treat their kids. Well, you know what? You, it's because you've been with your dog a long time, and they're, they're, you, you know your dog and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so as the dog... See, what happens is when it's, you've been with it, you know its behavior. But when it's simply a young pup, you don't know its behavior. And so that's the idea. It's a young lion. We don't know. It's the fear of the unknown, the pestilence that goes in the darkness. It's the pestilence that comes because the fear of the unknown is one of our greatest fears. We don't like anything that we haven't done before. We want the same routine. We want, we, we want, we, we never, ever like. You see, until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of fear, uh, of change, we will still stay the same for our whole lives. Until you realize, I can't stay the same any longer. It hurts to stay the same. But what we have, when we have the, the fear of the unknown, we will stay in the known for our whole lives. But look at how God treats his people. He told Philip, who was in, in Acts, 7, in Acts 8, yeah, a, a revival. He told him to go south to the desert. Nothing's in the desert. He told him to go south, and there was a eunuch there. He told Abraham to leave Ur. He didn't know what was going to happen. He told Noah to build an ark. There was never even rain at that time. He told Moses to go to Pharaoh before one plague ever happened. He told Joshua to march around Jericho. He told all of them. They didn't know what's happening. Paul Turnier, a great psychologist, talks about faith as a trapeze artist. That as a trapeze artist who's on a swing, if you want to go to the next swing, you have to swing on this one, but you've got to let go of this swing to grab hold of this swing. You can't stand there and reach both of them at the same time, and we want that. Because that's the fear that we're facing, the fear of the unknown. We will never change, but the God that is there is the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. Let me just go to the next one. The serpent. In the King James, it's called the dragon, the unfounded fear. How many have ever seen a lion? How many have ever seen a snake? How many have ever seen a, lung, a, a young lion, a, a pup? 
or a cub. How many have ever seen a real live dragon? This is mythology. This word is out of Greek mythology. It's not real. He uses this word out of Greek mythology that's unbelievable because he starts saying, this is an unfounded fear. It's fictitious. And he says, it's the terror, terror by night. It's the darkness. You see, what happens is this unfounded fear starts happening in our lives, and we start thinking, it only takes some fear to be, to be infiltrated by one lie until all of a sudden you have this unfounded fear that you're going to be a failure, your marriage is in the, in, in the wreck, and all of a sudden all these things start gathering in your mind, and an unfounded fear is the hardest one to, to defeat because it has no foundation anywhere instead outside of your imagination. That's where you need my God, my God, personal God, my God. Because until God becomes personal, fear will always be personal. How many know everything that's fear is personal? Personal, uh, fear is always personal. I, I know the time. My dad had his leg amputated. But when he had his toes amputated at the start, we went in the next day. And he was screaming, my toes, my toes. And I looked at his foot, and there were no toes there. And I asked the nurse, what's going on? And she said, the brain is a very powerful instrument. There's something called phantom pains. Phantom pains come, and your dad is actually feeling pain in the toes that he doesn't have. We hold on to certain fears even when there is nothing to be scared of. We hold on because it is an unfounded fear. And you've got to have God to see you through. My God. My God. I have felt my legs come out of my hip socket. I've heard a doctor say he'll never walk again. I've seen my dad's leg amputated. I've heard cancer be used to my mother. I've seen husband leave their families. I've heard it's a form of autism. It's called Asperger's. And that's one thing, but when it's your son, you sit there and think, my life's not going to be normal. I've seen the death of a husband or a wife. Pain doesn't rob you of life. Throwing away your faith does. God is able to do powerful and great things because the hinge opens up and either your fear will be bound or the spirit of love and power and a sound mind will be bound in our life. You see, because... God has great things in store for you. I love seeing God do great things. I love God showing up and saying, I'm here. We had a girl in our church. She was married to one of my good friends in Princeton, and she had encephalitis, and, and, and they didn't give her much time to live, and her mind was already gone. And we prayed for her one night, and I said, 
Lord, we believe that you are our God. And we believe that the same power that rose you from the grave, and she said, abides in me. We all sat there, sat up. We realized encephalitis may get the cortex of your brain, but it cannot still your spirit. Because only God has that in store. Only God holds that. So today, fear is an enemy that will drain your faith. Either you bind fear or the spirit of love and power and a sound mind will be bound. I want you to bow your heads with me. I like that song, but it's not necessarily an altar call song. I've gone longer than I'm supposed to, I'm sorry, but I want to give you a chance today, though, to not leave this place until you give your spirit a chance to say, I want that hinge to be open. I don't want my heart and my life to be closed to what God has in store for me. The Bible says men's heart will fail because of fear. Men's hearts will fail them because of fear. Today, don't let your heart fail you. And so today, if you want to bind the spirit of fear, it may be the first one, the undisguised fear. It may be the unexpected fear. It may be the unknown fear. It may be the unfounded fear. Whatever type of fear it is, God is still greater. And you have to be aware of all the possibilities that God is greater. And if today you want to bind the fear in your life, I simply want you to stand to your feet and raise your hands and open your heart for God to give you the courage and the power and the love and the sound mind to bind the spirit of fear in your life. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet right now. Raise your hands with me. Father, we face fear every day of our life. It binds us. It robs us. It makes a colorful life black and white. And today you have taught us there is no way you want us living because you want us to dwell in you. And we will either be bound by fear or be freed to experience the power of your power, the beauty of your love, and the sanity of the mind of Christ. So come, Lord Jesus. Come and take us and breathe your spirit and cleanse the spirit of fear out of our lives. Even today, before we leave this place, May we go with a newfound awareness of all the possibilities that my God is greater 
that he is our healer. He is uh, our baptizer. He can heal our marriage. He can heal our finances. He can take care of our future. You are our, the source of all of our needs. So, Father, we look to you. We see you instead of the lion. We see you instead of the snake. We see you instead of the great lion. We see you instead of the dragon. Because you are the greatest possibility we have in our life. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Do I hand it to someone? God bless you. Oh, go ahead.